Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, September 8th, 2022. I'm John Bud Hortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with... Uh, the Queen uh, of England, who is uh, and uh, Great Britain and the and the and the Commonwealth, uh, who is, um, I believe, ninety seven and is uh, in decline. So we should mention that at the beginning, she's a extraordinary person. As somebody somebody said earlier today, uh, there are seven billion people on this planet who have not known of another Queen of England. She's been Queen of England for 70 years, uh, something like that. And uh, it's a pretty extraordinary uh, longevity and record and life. And uh, we'll probably talk more about that. Um, I want to talk about what I consider. I am not a big fan of political trolling, though in my youth, like all foolish and immature people, I loved political trolling and i thought it was hilarious and now i think it's mostly more destructive than it is positive but i want to talk about what i think is a genuinely brilliant act of political trolling and that is greg abbott the governor of texas who is forcing uh hypocritical urban democrats uh and their loud mouthery about the moral importance of uh of accepting immigration without limits. Um, uh, both Eric Adams and Lori Lightfoot, the respective mayors of New York and Chicago, have uh, expressed outrage, shock, and disgust at the fact that uh, uh, border crossers from uh, Mexico into Texas uh, are being sent on buses to New York and to Chicago, cities that call themselves sanctuary cities. What does that mean? I will now read to you from the Chicago.gov frequently asked question uh, document on sanctuary cities. What does it mean that Chicago is a sanctuary city? Chicago's welcoming city ordinance means that the city will not ask about your immigration status, disclose that information to authorities, or most, most importantly, deny you city services based on your immigration status. Question, why does Chicago choose not to partner with Immigration Customs Enforcement to deport undocumented individuals? Answer, partnering with ICE would go against our mission to make Chicago the most immigrant-friendly city in the country and turn ours into a community of fear for immigrants. Okay, so what did Greg Abbott do? He said, okay, fine. You love immigrants. We're overrun by immigrants. We can't afford them. Here, have some. Here's a bus. You deal with them. We're allowed, anyone can go anywhere in the United States, you know, once they're here. So we're going to send them to you and you can host them. And what Eric Adams, when this happened three weeks ago in New York, and there are thousands of people who got off buses in New York, um, was like railing at Greg Abbott railing and yesterday Lori Lightfoot the mayor of Chicago and an uncommonly um ham-fisted rhetorician and politician 
gave a press conference and said, my frustration comes from the actions of the governor of Texas. There could be a level of coordination and cooperation, but he chooses to do none of these things. Instead, he chooses to send human beings across the country to an uncertain de destination. That's unacceptable. He is manufacturing a human crisis and it makes no sense to me. And I think she said, we, she said something like, he is a person without morals or principle, something like that. Okay, so um, she wants this to be the most welcoming city in the country. She says that Texas is mean to immigrants. Uh, so Texas sends immigrants to this incredibly welcoming city, and the response of the mayor of the city is to say, what? Don't do that. We can't take 50 people on a bus. This is Chicago. We're a welcoming city in theory. We're a welcoming city. We're fake. I'm lying. We're not a welcoming city. Don't send any people here that I have to take care of. And Abbott's response, which is pretty great, actually, again, in the trolling form, was to tweet the following. He said, where is this? I'm sorry. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot is attacking Texas instead of addressing the real cause of the border crisis, Joe Biden. His inaction at our border is putting the lives of Texans at risk and is overwhelming our communities. Texas is doing Biden's job to secure the border. So this okay. is why, can I can I say, yes. I don't think, I think it might've started out as an, a, a troll, but in fact, if if you look at the, uh, if the political sides were switched, it would be called an awareness campaign, right? <laughs> so people who live on the border have been dealing with this for years. Under Biden alone, we, he's admitted more than 1 million undocumented people into this country. Um, there have been these flights of undocumented children sent all over to federal facilities, which of course did happen under Trump as well, because that's the policy. But this is a real, this has been a longstanding crisis that as soon as there was a Democrat in the White House, the media immediately immediately turned its eyes away from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, has not gone to a parking lot fence and wept in front of a cameraman because of all these migrants. And, and this story is an everyday uh, daily story for people who live on the border. So we've had a bunch of these uh, busloads of, of undocumented people come to Washington, D.C. as well. We are also a sanctuary city here in D.C. And our mayor, true to form, after reiterating the important values of being a sanctuary, immediately asked for National Guard troops to help with this <laughs> influx. So all of the, uh, I like that the mayor of Texas is, or sorry, governor of Texas is calling these mayors bluffs because that is what this is. It is really easy to virtue signal about how no one is illegal, et cetera, et cetera, with your, with your signs in your front lawn. It's very difficult to deal with a lot of people coming into a city or an or a part of the country where services are overwhelmed, the services that are, that are in place to help them. So it is a crisis. It's been a crisis for a while. This is finally bringing attention to the people who can sit comfortably in their blue state, blue city, urban environments and think that that crisis isn't theirs to deal with while attacking the people who deal with it on a daily basis. So I think it's so, more than a troll. I think it's actually effectively brought this back into the national conversation the way it should have been months ago. So this is a rare occasion on which I completely disagree with Christine. Because what I don't like about it, and I think in some sense, this is this is part of a continuation of what we were talking about yesterday. This thing of states attacking other states uh, deeply bothers me and to me is another element of 
the, the, the wheels coming off. Uh, and it's something that really got going during COVID uh, as, as states compare their COVID policies and then one would knock the other when, when, when the numbers went up in, in, in a state and when the numbers went down in their state and so on. And uh, it was also exacerbated by, by one governor uh, attacking Trump, then another one supporting Trump. Um, and this whole and so and in fact, something that uh, Kathy Hochul said was, uh, if you're a Republican, go, go down to Florida. Right. You're not you're not welcome in this state. So so to me, I, I, I you want to deal with with uh, uh, migrants in your in your state. Of course, do what you want. Do what you want to do. And I and I, I, I you know, I, I, I agree with with Abbott in, in terms of sort of. Yeah, we, we need some rule of law here. We need to do something. What on earth does that have to do with other states and cities exactly? Oh, okay. I, I, I don't know oh, if I agree ahead. with that whatsoever. Yeah. Um, as models of experimentation, which was the founder's vision for the states, it's perfectly legitimate for a state like California to, for example, as it has done, enact laws that provide illegal migrants with health care, with tax breaks, with uh, financial assistance. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with Texas using its resources to bus non-citizens to other states to enjoy their state model this is an experiment and we should fully embrace the experimentation as for covid you know the constitutional bounds held remember when uh andrew cuomo toyed with the idea of digging a moat around new york and so that nobody could exit or leave and this was blatantly unconstitutional and never held so nothing to me here suggests an unraveling of the compact okay. i'm not i'm not saying it's it's, it's not kosher in terms of uh, constitution or or uh, arrangements of states as, as 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 you know individual experiments i i just think it's bad for the country i okay, will just I, can i just add one more yeah. thing i i agree about how it doesn't exactly in, encourage a nicer tone of civility in our general discourse you're right about that I would I would be uh, less uh, vigorous in my defense of Abbott's uh, troll slash awareness campaign uh, if these particular people, the the uh, mayors and governors of these blue states, hadn't constantly been calling out the people who are dealing with the border crisis for being as as John noted. I mean, Lori Lightfoot calling him immoral. I mean, they've been they've been called inhumane for a long time now. So I feel like yes, the high the the higher ground to take would be to just deal with it. But I, I actually think that their audience isn't necessarily uh, blue state voters. It's the media and it's the Biden administration. They are trying to force Biden's hand because he is not doing anything about this problem. The ideological atmosphere around uh, immigration is certainly uh, part and parcel of the reason that there is a border crisis. Uh, it gets information, uh, tr trickles down from the border into Central and South America with the idea that America is welcoming that that um, uh, this is a good bet. Uh, come up, up through Mexico, cross the Rio Grande, try to make a border crossing, come into the country. Once you're here, they can't send you back. Everything is terrible where we are. Gangs, violence, you know, uh, insane levels of violence in various countries in Central America, uh, no rule of law or no no fully applicable rule of law in Mexico and all of that. And what 
leads people to believe this about the United States. You think that the existence of sanctuary cities isn't known to people, isn't known to the people who make a living uh, creating this uh, uh, train of people that come through that they support, they pay off coyotes or whoever it's organized they, crime those yeah. the, the human smugglers it's yeah. an organized crime right. ring it's bringing yeah. it's making millions and millions of dollars and killing yeah. lots of people right. are dying as a right. result of that organized right. crime so this is all something where people uh have absolutely no role in putting their money where their mouth is in some states they do like in california fair is fair so california is a state that also like texas you know has had uh, a serious relationship to um, uh, illegal immigration for, I don't know, 75 years. And Californians are genu generally, or the mass of Californians are generally welcoming to a lot of this immigration. A lot of the economy of California has depended on that kind of labor. And Texas was, until about 15 years ago, also very dovish on immigration for many of the same reasons that it provided a it provided a a, a, a sort of entry-level workforce for jobs that americans would not do and were not doing and all of that and you know george w bush governor of texas for two terms was of course the most immigrant friendly president we've ever had in that sense but um i think texas now is suffering you know the brunt of these millions of people crossing the border and they're they're in texas and uh uh and the idea of saying okay well you know your your ideological predilections have led you to talk about how we're mean we're horrible we're terrible and you are the only moral people fine uh put your money where your mouth is you deal with this you help us deal with this population this isn't just a national problem. I mean, Abbott says it's a national problem. This is Biden's fault. But um, Texas bears the individual brunt of a lot of this and is forced to do enforcement that is properly the role of the, of the federal government. And Lori Lightfoot gets to walk around mouthing off so that she can, you know, get the support of radical hispanic and latinx groups same with adam same with now there are places now look i say this as i've often said in this podcast i'm an incredible dove on immigration i i feel that it is uh i i think we are seeing some of the consequences of the squeeze on immigration in the uh crisis in the labor markets in 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 the united where we simply do not have enough workers um and uh, the inflationary effects of that, uh, which people said they wanted, right? That was part of the anti-immigration line was uh, these, you know, uh, illegal immigrants are, you know, basically harming the earning capacity of born and law-abiding Americans uh, by, by competing with them at the lowest levels for jobs. And uh, I think we now have evidence that that really isn't true exactly. I mean... Uh, we have enough. We have enough evidence that they're that uh, we need all all of them. Let's say. Uh, well, yeah, like especially now because you know the whole idea of work is on the outs, right? 
Yeah. So right. So anyway, they, they want to work, right. bring them in. Yeah. 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 And that is always the case, by the way, that is the, that is the argument for immigration, not just now, but forever that, um, that what you want in the United States in particular are hungry people. I don't mean literally hungry though. Some of them may be literally hungry who want to come here to make a better life and are going to bust their asses to do so because that will actually be good for the United States. It will, you know, there'll be more innovation. There'll be, there'll be more productivity. There'll be a more committed workforce. And that over time, native born Americans over many generations get more and more and more comfortable and less and less driven uh, to succeed by din. You know, that's just, I, I, I'm not going to psychologize about it or, but it is, it is, it is an enduring fact of life. But there's, um, I, I I would say that one of the, some polling that we've had about the, about the border situation, a lot of people understand that we are in a crisis moment now that we've been, there's been a crisis in terms of how the system uh, works or doesn't work. Um, I'm with you, John. I think immigration is a, is a really good thing for this country. Legal immigration, however, is what we should be encouraging, not illegal immigration. And there is a real problem here in that, you know, once if the Biden administration, which saw a massive spike in people coming in across the border once once he became president, because just as you say, I think there was the word went out that, you know, we're not going to be in the enforcement is has going to lag. Um, there's a vacuum that opens up where you do see extreme and very racist rhetoric on the right about an invasion on the border, this kind of talk, the kind of talk that we recall Trump making when he was a candidate, you know, about building the wall and such. That that could be shut down a little bit if there was actually a plan in place to deal with this. And and border officials, governors and, and local leaders of all these states, they've been begging for that from the Biden administration. And I, I believe Kamala is our is our czar for like she went and did a South American trip, but she claims to be looking only at root causes, not at the actual practical problems at the border. This is a problem and nobody wants to talk about it to the American people in a way that actually balances the interests of, you know, protecting the lives of people who are desperate to get into this country and settle here. And, um, you know, having a process that's streamlined for people who want to follow the rule of law and actually come here legally. So it, right. but Biden has not. When's the last time he said anything about the border? I can't recall. Look, some of the worst time. some of the worst citizens in this country are people who have made their living on immigration as an issue. And I'm talking now about the yes. left, not the right. But by which I mean they have uh their their ideological predilection is to say that America is nothing special, that uh people that uh immigrants and people uh, first generation people and all that should be accommodated in a very destructive way by teaching them in their native tongue instead of making them acculturate and learn English and be taught in English. That was a 20-year battle from the 80s to, I mean, it's mostly over now, as far as I can tell, uh, that the results of a generation of people harmed by bilingual education um, are now, you know, show, have, have shown their fruits. But um, on the one hand, what they want is America to be completely and entirely open and borderless. And on the other hand, uh, what they want to say is that America sucks. America stinks. America's mean. America's horrible. America's awful to these people. And it should let them in. It should give them benefits. It should pay them for being here. It should allow them to bring their relatives along. And then their, their relatives should get paid for being here uh, because this is an unjust country that um, that is probably responsible for why these people even want to come here in the first place because of its capitalist exploitation of 
resources and uh, you know and and uh, whatever. And and so um, what Greg Abbott is saying in this 2022 move against Eric Adams and Lori Lightfoot is screw screw you. Screw you and the way you talk about this country and the way you talk about us and the way you talk about people who are concerned about this acceptance of mass illegality. And as I say, I'm a dove. I don't really care. You know, if I if I if I could wave a wand and decide what laws were and were not enforced, um, immigration laws would not be the ones that I would see enforced first. Um, but I'm not, number one. And number two, they're laws and they're supposed to be obeyed. And we have a world of people who endorse and support these policies like sanctuary cities that call for the sco- call for scofflawing. No, f- actively flouting federal law. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> actively <laughs> flouting federal law. Do not inform the people who deal with immigration in the United States that there is an illegal immigrant in your midst. We are not, we as a policy, this city is not going to tell the immigration officials that there is somebody who is a, who is who is uh, breaking the law of the United States, we're not going to do that. Fine. So let a million of them live in Chicago and, those, and those see are, how you feel about it. That's an outlier position too, even among Democrats. Because if you look, there was YouGov polling on on the border issue a couple like earlier. Uh, this summer, I think in August, actually. And one of the things it found is that even 45% of registered Democratic voters say there's a crisis. So there's an acknowledgement of the crisis. And, and Americans make distinctions between legal and illegal immigration when it comes to understanding what's going on. So if you look at, you know, three in five Americans called illegal immigration a problem, but only 31% said legal immigration is a problem. So the, the ability to make the distinction and to draw them is there. Again, I point to the Biden administration and its failure to have any message whatsoever to to tell both the people who are dealing firsthand with the crisis, but also the American people in general who do not approve of what Biden is doing. He has very low approval ratings for his handling of the border. So, Abe, now that we have jumped, uh, you know, like scrambled down your, please tell us, have we convinced you or are you still like, by the way, states have always attacked other states. That's, you know. Yeah, but it seems much worse now, doesn't it? No, I don't think so. Connecticut and New York fought a short naval war. (laughs) When? Who won? (laughs) I I think it was Connecticut. I don't quite remember. Yeah. Yeah. Had something to do with ferrying. The sound is ours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, these are two, these are competing, really peripheral, marginal competing theories of how to organize society that have very little to do with their constitutional obligations. They don't abrogate any of them, as far as I can tell. I think it's fair to say that if immigration is a major issue in this election, we are going to find out about it after the fact. Like, like we've been looking, we see very little polling on it. We were talking about a little bit of polling. We're in a weird position now with polling. We're now after Labor Day. Um, obviously, the polling has shown a surge for Democrats in the last month. Uh, some improvement for Biden, although there's a poll this morning from Reuters Ipsos has him under 40 again. And oddly enough, in the poll averages, Biden is being ballasted by none other than Rasmussen reports, which has him 
around 45%. Rasmussen, when it is not showing Biden at 45%, is also peddling psychotic um, election denier theories in the most repulsive possible way on Twitter. So that's an interesting little uh, uh, wrinkle. But um, uh, we're not seeing very clear issue polling, and that's in part because that's expensive and because we're now moving into what where you should have likely voter screens and uh, likely voter screens are very, very expensive to pull off now, because if you want to just poll anybody, uh, you now get uh, in your poster, any any adult, you get a six percent response rate to get to to screen it so that you actually get only likely voters means you have to make thousands more calls, uh, very expensive and um I we already we learned in 2018 that immigration was the dog that didn't bark, right? That was Trump desperately tried to make the caravans and immigration the major issue that was going to stall the 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 democratic midterm triumph and it it didn't work. But it might work this time because of course you have uh because he was president. So saying uh you know, there's a border crisis probably played against them a little bit. It's like, well, if there's a border crisis, what are you doing about it? Like you're who are, you're blaming the coyotes. That's ridiculous. But now it's legitimate to say that the border crisis, that Biden is playing a role in the border crisis. And we're, I just don't know that we're going to know that that is going to play Except, in some of these. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, but now. There was a there was briefly some noise about about from from the mainstream press about about the border crisis. People were camped out under bridges and there was a lot of coverage. Then, and uh, there was some pressure on Biden. And he said, look, we're dealing with it. So do me a favor. Don't don't look at it now. We'll come back when we're done dealing with it and it'll yeah. all be OK. And they kind of went away. I mean, I mean, they. I don't mean the 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 migrants. I mean, the media said, "Oh, okay, he, he wants he wants us to, to to go away for a while." But again, and that is kind a, of that is very bizarrely held, right? But there's a secondary media, and remember, these are the elections that matter here are all local, right? I mean, they're local or state level. There is no national election, so we're talking about congressional races, and we're talking about Senate races, and some gubernatorial races. And who knows what's going on in those states? Who knows what's going on on? You know, I, I, I don't know, even know if talk radio is a thing anymore. But who knows what's going on in talk radio in those states? Who knows what's going on in the alt conservative media, uh, where the transmission, you know, where the transmission vectors are different from what they have been before? And it's entirely plausible that issues are coming to the fore that the that the mainstream media and the pollsters are entirely missing. Um, and again, we'll know that after the fact, I think. I mean, there are a couple of things you could learn from that, like what if Blake Masters does better than people realize because Arizona is also a state that has a border problem and uh, or something. I don't know. Uh, Nevada. I, I, I it's not clear to me how how it plays, but we just we don't know how these issues are playing what I do know is that it's a great troll. I'm sorry, it is a great troll because it reveals hypo- it is the purpose of it is to reveal hypocrisy in its most blatant, almost comic form. We're a sanctuary city. Don't let any illegal immigrant, you know, don't you're not you you're not a sanctuary state. So you take a million of them and we'll take none. 
I mean, the thing that cracks me up about New York is that thousands of migrants are getting off the bus at the Port Authority bus terminal and they're being taken to a hotel that used to be called the Milford Plaza, four blocks up from the uh, from the Port Authority, the bus terminal. And the Milford Plaza was the sub was was the first uh, major hotel in New York to do extensive local advertising in the 1980s with a commercial where the Milford Plaza promised that it was the lullaby of old Broadway. So you could come in from the suburbs, come stay for the weekend and go see Broadway shows and be at the Milford Plaza. And now the Milford Plaza is the lullaby of the sanctuary, New York City as a sanctuary city. It's not called the Milford Plaza anymore, but you know, there is something deeply and savagely ironic that that has now become the sort of home hotel, uh, this um, building on Eighth Avenue. It's I agree. By the way, I agree. It's a yeah. great troll. I'm not saying it's okay. not a great troll. I'm okay. I'm sick of states trolling other states. That's okay. What. Well, it's only get, that's only going to get worse. That's I mean, you're what right isn't? in the sense that no, but I, right, no, what isn't? That's true. I mean, you're right in the sense that like. Some of that used to be playful, right? It was like the governor of one, you know, the governor of New York with the Buffalo Bills are in the, you know, a senator from one state, you know, challenges. If my team wins and your team loses in the AFC championship game, you're going to eat really hot chili, you know, because I'll show you that we're better than you are like that. That stuff is funny, right? That's that's like playful, like down at root. We're just doing this all for play. And of course, when, you know, yeah, when when Laurie, when when Kathy Hochul says, if you're a Republican, leave this state and go to another state or, uh, you know, whatever people, whatever it was that Andrew Cuomo said that Kemp and DeSantis were doing, killing people when he was the one killing people. That's very, very ugly. Um, but uh, I guess it's only going to get worse. I don't know. I mean, it's going to get worse in the sense that, uh, I don't know, like, what is California's electric car rule going to do for everybody else? I, I you know, or th these kinds of things where uh, states flex their muscles based on their side. So I don't know. Well, what, what's what's California's green energy laws doing what, now to neighbors? Yeah, they, 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 causing... they got to siphon off the, the, you know, money from other states' grids. I well, mean, and, uh, and... fuel from other states' grids. And remember all of the all of the uh, flack that Texas got when it had that really really what was kind of an unusual weather event uh, the 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 cold that caused their the overpowering of their grid it was a national news story for a week or so where they were just being mocked for their inability to you know embrace climate change uh, and and green energy um what's happening in california is a normal occurrence california has heat waves they should be prepared the grid should be prepared to deal with them and instead you've got the governor with who has his own presidential ambitions in a fleece vest for some bizarre reason i don't know who did the optics for that telling people to turn up their thermostats don't charge their cars you know all, all of this stuff so it's it's when practical matters come to the fore a lot of the rhetoric about about you know this pie in the sky stuff uh falls and i think that's true of immigration i think it's definitely true of a lot of these blue states when it comes to climate change um all right so let let's move on to something else though i don't know what that something else is what what should that <laughs> what should that something else be you um, talked about issue polling earlier. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring the 
issue polling that came across my transom yesterday, okay. which I think is relevant. YouGov, um, YouGov Economist, I believe. No, Yahoo News YouGov. So Yahoo News yeah. um, commissioned the poll. YouGov conducted it. Um, uh, yesterday, this poll came out, shows uh, pretty much an, a continuation of the trends that we've been seeing recently with some renewed Democratic enthusiasm. Um, and as far as issues goes, the headline is essentially that Democrats, um, in a midterm election year in which Democrats control all levers of, uh, power in, in Washington are angrier than Republicans. I'm going to read briefly from this poll quote, the share of Republicans who are angry about efforts to overturn the 2020 election, 61% up from 59% two weeks ago, and about the Supreme Court overturning Roe, 59% up from 56% is higher than the share of Republicans who are angrier about Biden's response to inflation, 54% down from 58, and about the search of Mar-a-Lago, 53% down from 55. Likewise, while 39% of Republicans say they're angry about Democrats controlling the White House and Congress, a greater number of Democrats, 47%, say they're angry about conservative judges controlling the U.S. Supreme Court. In other words, the president's party seems to be angrier this year, not your typical midterm dynamic. The write-up goes on to conclude that, quote, it's very unusual for a former president to continue to inspire more antipathy than the current president. In a midterm year, this dynamic is all but unprecedented. Um, and nevertheless, it is present, apparently um, energizing Democrats in a way that they had not been previously energized. Indeed, that no, none of our experience in a midterm year suggests they should be energized. And as far as issues goes, tangential as they may be to the president's former president's reemergence on the national stage, they have in, taken on an outsized importance in the minds of Democratic voters as a proxy for their hostility towards Donald Trump and his continued presence uh, over our politics. Well, let's talk about the Supreme Court Dobbs decision, which changed, which, you know, a once in a half century event, right? The lifting uh, uh, revision of uh, lifting of a constitutional, of a declared though unconstitutional constitutional right. Um, an event like that, which is, a black swan has had a black swan effect in the sense which is that it's the most important thing to have happened this year politically and uh and the president's party opposes it and uh is generating anger in 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 response to it and it's the one thing that has happened politically that the right has gotten its way on and it's really really big so if you're voting in an atmosphere in which you are upset about uh, where things are, uh, Democrats have a real target. There's something else going on here. Change. Okay. But th I'm just saying that that's, yeah, I, I that's understand, not, but no other midterm election has had a thing happen in it like Dobbs. Well, and no midterm election has ever had a thing in it or American politics has ever had anything in it like a defeated president, still center, uh, front and center, who enrages the out party the way this maybe, I mean, you know, who enrages the out party the way 
uh, Trump enrages the uh, who enrages the the other party the way Trump enrages the other. Yeah, party. I mean later on in this poll, it's, it goes on to say seventy one percent of Democrat of those voting for Democratic candidates who say they'll vote for Democratic candidates say they're doing so to preserve access to abortion. Um, by conversely, those voting for Republican candidates only twenty five percent say they're voting to limit access to abortion. Um, similarly. I say similarly because I'm about to make the connection. 70% of registered voters who plan to vote for Democrats say they're doing so to oppose candidates loyal to Trump, whereas 36% say they're voting for candidates in support of Donald Trump. And 8 in 10 Democratic voters, 81%, say their vote is for protecting voting rights, whereas 49% of Republican voters say their vote is about limiting voter fraud. Um, and this makes sense to me insofar as a lot of these issues that Republican candidates raise are somewhat nebulous. Um, what is the action item here? What is the plan of action in the event that Republicans win elected office, take control of both chambers of Congress? What are they going to do about these issues they're pounding the table on? I don't know. Do you? Uh, whereas Democratic candidates have made rather explicit now whether they can pull it off is another story, but have made rather explicit what their legislative ambitions would be. Um, so you're voting for something as opposed to just whatever, stop whatever this is. And then, as we've said in a lot of times, Republicans have drop the ball when it comes to just being a bulwark of opposition against all this, waving your hands around, gesturing all this, because uh, they're not talking about all this anymore. Uh, that the immigration thing is sort of an interesting way to reignite an issue that favors Republicans over Democrats. But it's not a party wide message. It's a Texas message. What is the Republican message? Well, Republicans didn't need a message and now they need a message and why do they well need they a didn't message? they just needed to be not this right no but that's what mcconnell's right. strategy was and it worked for right. a very long time until donald trump re-emerged and said well, now we're this that's the key because they needed to just be not them and now they have to reckon with being a thing like them that but always happens in midterm no, dynamics too. No. Right around now, yeah. Right when we, right around no, when no, they no, start no, no, no. stop me, being a me... generic vehicle of opposition and start being actual candidates, they get a closer yeah. look. Yeah. Well, you is know, it McCarthy? You know, when sixty-three seats in the House because each candidate becomes a recognizable and notable candidate. You win 63 seats in the House as Republicans did in 2010 because people are like somebody has got to stop those guys because look what they're doing. And there's a guy with an R in, after his name and I'm voting for him. That's how a wave. I happened. mean, 2010 is kind of sui generis. You can look at 2014, 1994. Yeah. 1994. Yeah. Uh, there, That's what I'm ways. saying. It's the same. It's exactly the same dynamic. What I mean is that uh, the American people are being reminded that the Republican party is Trump. That's the problem for Republicans. As long as the Republican Party were not was not the Democratic Party, then it was not the Democratic Party. Countries seven and ten think the country's going the wrong way. Biden's got approval numbers in the high thirties or low forties. That should be catastrophic atmosphere for Democrats. Except that the Republican Party isn't just not the Democrats; it is Trump, <clears throat> and Trump is the most controversial person in the history of American politics. <laughs> the single most controversial person in the history of American politics. He lost an election in 2020. He's still there. You know, he's like Napoleon 
you know, he's like Napoleon on Elba, except he's not on Elba. He's like in France while the Bourbons are trying to restore themselves. This is not going well for Republicans because all they needed to be, I mean, I went back and I looked at the piece I wrote for commentary called The Way Forward in 2010 after the uh, after the shellacking. And basically what was clear from all the data at the time was there was no positive Republican agenda. This was one of the mistakes that Republicans made in the wake is that they thought that the Tea Party agenda was pilot. It meant that what they needed to do was, you know, they needed to fight and prevent, you know, the raising of the debt ceiling or something like that. What it was, was Obama had spent two and a half trillion dollars in 16 months and the public said, stop. But that's kind of all it said. All it said was stop. Like it's too much. Healthcare is too much. This is too much. The auto takeover was too much. The stimulus was too much. Stop. You people are going to drive us into the poorhouse. Then the Republicans had to come in and figure out what they were supposed to do with this bounty that they had received. And they didn't really know how to handle it. But electorally, the message was very clear. Now, Democrats actually, weirdly enough, even though they are the party in power, have a reason to go out and vote to say stop themselves. Wait, but the but but Republicans now have a reason to say stop. They're just not saying it. That's not the that's not the best. I mean, they could say stop spending and they could say we got we have to we got to reverse uh, uh, inflation and uh, we've got to clean up crime. I mean, they have is when Noah talks about the difference in sort of tangible items on both yeah. sides. The GOP has tangible items. They're, they've they've just floated into the periphery. But well, why? McCarthy's going to roll out nope. this commitment to America as a four part project uh, in in a week or two, and it, it talks about the economy, safety, and under safety they put crime and immigration. Um, you know, freedom, which I think that's going to be the COVID era sort of, you know, both free speech stuff and also like keeping schools open, all that stuff. And then a government that's accountable. You know, it's it, it, they do these. It's it's obviously a PR maneuver, but at least it does have four points that on which, again, the polling shows people are not happy with what the, the direction of the country is headed under the Democrats. But I agree with John. I think all of that, all of however well worded this new commitment contract, whatever they roll out, it's all overshadowed by Trump. So and and he would und actively undermine it as he has done in the past right. because remember that was his that was always his <laughs> his uh, approach. Look, I think the central point here is that um, uh, you win in a political atmosphere that is uniquely unfavorable to your opponents uh, when you are as blank a slate as possible in some weird ways. Like you just have to be standing there. And the wave goes and hits them. And we spent the month of August talking about Trump and Mar-a-Lago and the raid, or a lot of the American political conversation was about it, on both sides. Because the Democrats wanted to talk about it for obvious reasons. And the Republicans were forced, compelled by political Pavlovian, we're back to Pavlov this week, Our, this is Pavlov week on the 430 movie, um, uh, we, you know, are forced by circumstance to defend Trump, to talk about the misbehavior of the FBI and all of that. And uh, and we're we're and so Trump is at the center and he's like, when has that ever happened before? We're talking about an out of power 
defeated president defeated and he is arguably a more important political figure than the sitting president of the United States so we're getting what we deserve is what i'm saying we are we are we are sin we are sinners we are corrupted we are fallen and we're getting what we deserve because what we should be doing is having conversation about the four, five, six trillion dollars that Joe Biden has spent since he became president. And we can't even get a conversation going about a half a billion, a half a trillion dollar giveaway on the student loan debt, um, you know, uh, retirement stuff. Uh, where's that conversation? It isn't happening because Trump is walking around. Now Steve Bannon is about to get um, you know, indicted is, is getting arrested in New York today. So that'll be another week of stories about Trump and Bannon and this and that and the other thing. And that's the last thing anybody should be talking about. All they should be talking about is Biden and the border and crime and inflation and this and that and the other thing. And instead, Democrats are fired up about 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 abortion in a way that there is no comparable issue on the on the right side. Um. And that was not predictable because we didn't predict it. Very few people, I mean, Democrats said, you know, you are, you're going to unleash hell on yourselves. And I think a lot of people on the right really underestimated. I mean, Eric Erickson, uh, our friend in Georgia said this, like he just, it never occurred to him that it was going to be this, you know, uh, dominating an issue for Democrats. And they've spent $80 million on ads specifically on abortion nationwide. And it isn't even September yet. And they're making a big bet on it, but that bet seems to be paying off. I mean, I, I don't see any, I don't see any downside to the bet because they're spooking Republicans who aren't exactly firing back and saying you want to kill babies or whatever it is that you would say, or you know, here's a you know, bringing out kids who like, you know were born at 20 weeks or 16, whatever, and then managed to lead productive lives or something. So I think it's, um, and on the other hand, this could all, it could all, this could all be evanescent. That the fundamentals will tell, and we have two months to go, and you get a lot of people fight. And the other, it's the other problem about the anger, the democratic anger. Can that be sustained? Like, so Dobbs was June, the vote's in November. Are you going to sustain that feeling? Uh, just like people say, well, maybe people are getting used to inflation. I don't know. Maybe you maybe you can't really sustain that anger level. Um, but I will say if Trump's in the news every day until November, that is the single best thing that could happen for Democrats. And I only say that because that's what the evidence of the last month is showing. Abe, uh, are we, I'm just saying, like, so this is September, what is it, 8th? Okay, it's September 8th. Give me your guess. I'm trying to think of how many shows we have until election day. It's probably like five a week. It's like uh, eight weeks. So, I don't know, 35 to 40 shows or something like that. How many of them will the words Donald Trump appear in the first two minutes of the show? Well, I can guess, and then I could try to steer the the, the content going forward. <laughs> they see that's good. Yeah. It's like a Mad Libs commentary yeah. podcast, Mad Libs. Um, no, look, it's it's 
yeah, he's going to continue to dominate. I mean, look, barring completely unforeseen, yeah, exogenous events, which which and and there will be some, and I don't know what those those are going to be, but um, in any but but that aside, yeah, he he is he is the story now, and it it uh, it completely saps any passion that that uh, conservatives who aren't particularly Trumpy might have had about coming out to vote because of those issues, because of the spending, because of the crime, because, um, bringing Trump back into the into the news, having him dominate dominate things uh, makes those conservatives or Republicans um, say, why, why bother? I'm not going to, you know, I thought uh, I, ha- I had a reason to be angry and to fight against uh, 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 what what the Democrats were doing, but uh, my side is c- continues to be such a circus, uh, such a clown show that I'm, you know you lose you lose interest. It's not even it's even if it's not a, a sort of rationally decided thing like that. That is that is the that is the effect emotionally that all this has. Um. Okay. Well, uh, we. Uh... We have a Marist poll out just now showing Democrats with a four-point lead in the generic ballot, 48-44. So things are not going in the Republican direction. It's that simple. I mean, if the generic ballot gets Democrats to 50, then then basically not only isn't there a wave, but there may be a sort of weird counter wave. I also don't believe that at all. Um, okay. We also, we've known that Republicans are unenthusiastic about talking to pollsters when they're enthusiastic about the environment. Right. If they're not enthusiastic about envir- this environment, all of a sudden they're not going to talk to pollsters. That doesn't mean they're not going to vote. And even in these, you know, we, for example, Morning Consult, which has been doing these polling for, or has polled on this issue consistently week after week. So you have a nice little trend line. Um, enthusiasm has been rather constant with a slight Republican edge for a year. Um, moderate Republican edge. And on the issues, Republicans hold a 10 point advantage on the economy, which is the single most important issue for a majority of voters, followed only by gun policy at a distant second. So, yeah, the notion here that Republicans can't turn this around or even that it may not be apparent that they're turning it around until election night, I think is still a very, very likely possibility. Right. Well, I should note before we uh, before we close that our friend Ed Morrissey over at Hot Air has a very interesting analysis of uh, sort of polling using some stuff from Phil Bump in the Washington Post. Uh, guess who is guess what demographic is the most enthusiastic to vote in November? White men. Is it white men? White men, not women. Really? I guess suburban that. women. You guessed it. <laughs> You guessed it. Uh, and so uh, there was a, um, uh, there were buttons pushed uh, among, so in other words, th- there is this like surge in female enthusiasm or something like that, but it is still the case that white men are the most, Republican men are the most uh, likely to vote and the most enthusiastic. Wait, white Republican men or white men? Hold on, hold on. Let me just find the uh, find the actual. Hold on. The most enthusiastic demo this fall is Republican men. Um, 
according to YouGov, okay, and the enthusiasm has grown. That is what uh, Phil Bump reports. So, well, white men and Republican men are kind of coterminous, kind of but, yeah. but but nonetheless. Uh, so, if that's the case, then a well, lot that, of this well, is that, well, who slicing, are white men? Yeah, who are what? all? Who are who is the universe of white men? It I is not. Yeah. Highly educated, affluent suburbanites. Right. These are work mostly working class Americans yeah. who do right. not respond to pollsters who are all but invisible right. to the political class. I think what's most important about this is that um, we, when you take these polls and issue polls, you are slicing and dicing, and you're talking about you know we have 800 people responding, and then it says like 12 people say that you know 12 percent say that this is the most important issue, and then if you go into the if you like go into the innards, that's like 16 people said that in a poll. It's you know the margin of error on that is plus or minus a hundred thousand billion percent. So. Um, a lot of this is trying to make sense out of things that we don't actually have that much information about. And we have these very broad categories, like who's more enthusiastic to vote? Uh, but can you get the... Un- now, the, according to Amy Walter at the Cook Political Report, the strength of the Democrats in November relies on their ability to get what she calls the MEV voter, the voter who is feeling very unenthusiastic about Democrats, but will vote for them anyway. And will turn out for them anyway, even though they're not enthusiastic because they don't like Trump, they don't like Dobbs, and they don't like, uh, you know, some of the 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 atmosphere. And that's just a guess. Like again, we're not going to know until election night. We really, really aren't. But that wasn't true of the other waves. Although Obama refused to believe there was going to be a 2010 shellacking up until the day that that happened. So it's easy to delude yourself even though the polling there was like just unambiguously horrible beginning really in September. And this is the beginning of September, so we'll see. And we're just kind of, okay, so we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> For Abe, Christina, and I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.